Well, uh, we're going to conclude this uh, brief couple sermons on what we talked about last week, some respectable sins, and uh, we're going to look at gossip. And actually, they do relate to each other in some ways. As you, if you're, I trust you're paying attention as you're reading Proverbs 26, you notice that one of the ways we overcome godly, unholy disagreement between godly people is uh, refusing to gossip. And uh, when, when there's a lack of wood, the fire goes out. But gossip has a way of laying woods on the fire, wood on the fire and, and increasing the burning. And uh, as James tells us, it can be enough to burn a whole house down. I read an article several months ago um, by Tim Challies. If you're not familiar with Tim Challies, I would encourage you to get familiar with him. Um, he's a pastor in the Toronto area. Um, he's written a long-standing Christian blog, which is one of the blogs that is actually worth reading. There are plenty out there that aren't, but Challies is one to read. Challies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S.com. And um, he writes some good stuff on there. And uh, on July 15, 2020, he published one of his articles, which was called Respectable Sins of the Reformed World. And he's an insider. He's a Reformed Baptist himself, and he's willing, as should be true of all of God's preachers and prophets, is that we're willing to call our own sin what it is and not make excuses for sins in the camp. That's what false prophets do. That's not what true prophets do. So we should be willing to call out sin wherever we see it, whether it's inside or outside. It's really easy to call out sin out there. It's harder to call out sin in here, but we need to be willing to do that as well. He lists several of these um, respectable sins of the Reformed world. I'll just give them to you, and then I'm going to hone in on why he camps on gossip and why we're camping on it this morning. He, the first one he identifies is suspicion. Suspicion. He says, we have no right to doubt others by default or to have some sort of cautious distrust of them as if they are guilty until proven innocent. We cannot allow ourselves to be suspicious of the actions, motives, or salvation of brothers and sisters. And then he quotes 1 Corinthians thirteen seven: Love believes all things and hopes all things. That should rid, rid a Christian's heart of suspicion because love and suspicion can't coexist. The second sin he identifies is slander. He says that when we slander another person, we utter false statements meant to damage their reputation. And he sees this as all too common in the world today. A third is meddling, meddling in other people's business. He says, we receive news about which we can do nothing. So what we do is pass it on. We broadcast our opinion, our joy, or our outrage. But passing it on is not a neutral act. It is in fact can be an act of meddling. Broadcasting opinions about situations that have happened at a great distance from us that do not concern us, about which we can do nothing, and about which we know very little, seems to match the very definition of what it means to meddle. Fourthly, he says, a respectable sin in the Reformed world is idleness. He says, we can dress up our use of social media as building platform or expressing discernment or offering encouragement, but if we're honest with ourselves, for many of us, it's a means of escape from the real world and from our real lives. It's laziness, not productivity. And the Bible has repeated and sobering warnings about those who are lazy. 
Ironically, the people who are most active on social media may also be the most idle. Also, impugning. He says to impugn is to dispute the truth, validity, or honesty of another person's motives. And closely connected to disputing another person's motives is suggesting that you really know the truth behind it. So that brings us finally to what he says about gossip. And this is what struck me and why I wanted to address it this morning. He says the Christian world, and perhaps especially the Reformed Christian world, is absolutely cock-a-block with, or chock-a-block with gossip. From the pulpit to the pew, from the conference green room to the conference live stream, gossip is rampant. It is whispered in the name of important information and blogged in the name of discernment, both ways of dressing it up in respectable apparel. But if it isn't true, and it isn't edifying, and it isn't necessary, it's gossip. Truly gossip, listen to this, he says, truly gossip may be the besetting sin of the reformed movement and a major contributor to her current or coming collapse. If gossip sows discord and social media provides a renewed atmosphere for that to go unchecked, market churches will split, denominations will split, movements will split, and it will all be as a result of our wagging tongues. And so we need to address this situation, not just because we're concerned about all that's going on in the reformed world, though we should be, but because gossip doesn't necessarily is only confined there. It's here as well. And we all have the temptation to either participate in it or listen to it. And therefore, as a result, we can be guilty of it. Here's what Ray Ortland says about gossip. I believe this will be on the screen behind me so you can read along. What is gossip? It's not necessarily false information. Slander is false. Gossip might include true information. And maybe that's why gossip doesn't always feel sinful. What makes it sin is first and foremost that God says it's sin. But gossip spreads what can include accurate information to diminish another person. That is not how people behave when they're living in the power of the grace of God. Gossip is our dark moral fervor eagerly seeking gratification. Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. It makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. It makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone we're jealous of. It makes us feel righteous, even responsible, to pronounce someone else guilty. Gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but it is of the flesh, not of the spirit. Adultery, too, is a serious sin and one likely to be disciplined in a church, but I have never seen a church split over the sin of adultery. Gossip is a sin rarely disciplined, but often more socially destructive than the sensational sins. Gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation. It kills churches, it erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what's being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference, doing violence to the gossiper, to the one receiving the gossip and to the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. It robs our Lord of the church he, of the, of the, our Lord of the church he deserves. 
it exposes the hostility in our hearts and discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world, then we wonder why we don't see more conversions, why the ground is so hard. See, brothers and sisters, as has often been said, loose lips sink ships. They ruin reputations. They create suspicion. They diminish trust. They question motives. They destroy the unity of the local church. Gossip is the devil's Ponzi scheme. It's a get-rich-quick strategy to run on disunity and to provide quick returns to those who seek to gratify the flesh. So we need to be fully resolved this morning to be informed by Scripture again, to be reminded of these things, and to be committed to resist him in all of his Ponzi efforts to undermine the unity of God's people. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at gossip in kind of a topical way. We're not focusing in on any one particular passage this morning, but we're going to look at it under three headings. First of all, I want to talk about recognizing gossip. I want to give us a definition because I don't think there's a common uh, universal understanding of what it is and what it isn't. And so I think we need to be on the same ground about what we're talking about when we talk about gossip. And then secondly, we're going to look at the uh, ways to resist it, resisting gossip. And we're going to look at three ways that we resist it. And then finally and thirdly, we're going to look at redeeming gossip, how we gossip to the glory of God with the gospel in view. There is a good kind of gossip that we should be participating in and that I want us to redeem for God's sake. So let's first of all talk about recognizing gossip, the definition of gossip. Gossip is when we talk to someone about somebody else when they are not part of the problem or the solution. That's the definition I'm working under. Gossip is when we talk to someone about somebody else when they are not part of the problem or the solution. One writer said it's bearing bad news behind someone's back, out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news out of a bad heart. So it involves talking, obviously. Proverbs assumes that. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. But gossip, like we see in Proverbs 26, needs a, needs a listener. It, does, it needs a speaker and it needs a listener. Proverbs says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. But here, we also need to see that there are not only words associated with gossip, but there's also listening associated with gossip. Proverbs 17.4 says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. See, it might be easy for some of us in here to say, well, I don't... I don't I don't think I'm a gossiper. I'm a pretty quiet person. I, don't, I kind of mind my own business. But, but do you listen to it? Do you, are, you, are you giving it audience? And, and the reality is, is that whether or not we are speaking the gossip or we're listening to the, the gossip, it says a lot more about us than we would like to think. Charles Spurgeon says, Remember that as the receiver is as bad as the thief, so the hearer of scandal is a sharer in the guilt of it. If there were no listening ears, there would be no tail-bearing tongues. This is why Proverbs 20 encourages us to not be around people who gossip. There are people you are not to associate with. And people who are given over to simple babbling, as the proverb says in Proverbs 20, are not to be associated with. Because for lack of wood, the fire goes out. So gossip involves bad news. 
It could be false bad news, like Proverbs 19.5 says. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. But it does not have to be false information. It could be true. Some of you may have been taught that if it's true, it isn't gossip. That's not true. Gossip includes foolishly speaking the awful truth about someone. Proverbs 11.13, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. James 4.11 and 12 uses the word kataleleo, which means to speak against someone, to run them down verbally, to disdain or speak ill of someone. It is not necessarily a false report. It's an against report. And that's what gossip can be as well. Now, just to clarify, there are times when it is necessary and not slanderous to discuss or share information that is an against report. That could be damaging to a person's reputation. Sometimes a person's real sins are of such a nature that they must become public for the sake of justice and for the sake of individual safety. So let me give you a few examples. First of all, reporting confirmed, documented sin and abuse to appropriate people in positions of authority who can do something about it is not gossip. It's justice. Participating as an appropriate person in spiritual and in some cases civil authority in an investigation such as a report about someone's sinful or perhaps abusive behavior with the intent of either confronting that person or clearing their good name is not gossip. It's justice. Discreetly, And without unnecessary details, informing others of another's confirmed sinful or abusive behavior because without this knowledge someone might suffer real harm is not gossip. It's justice. Seeking pastoral counsel regarding how to navigate a complex and ambiguous situation while doing everything you can to guard the reputation of the person in question from unnecessary damage is not gossip. But it is justice. So I want to make sure that's clear. We're not talking about situations of abuse or clear public sin or things that need to be reproved publicly. We're talking about personal information that should not be shared between God's people or people in general. So that's, that's the definition I'm working from. Um, secondly, still under point number one here on recognizing gossip, let's talk briefly about what's behind, the, what's behind gossip. What's the heart of it? Well, we have to ask ourselves whether we're hearing gossip or we're speaking gossip, why am I saying this? Why am I listening to this? Why am I attracted to this? Why do I want to hear this? See, a lot of us don't ask those questions, but we should. Because it's, it, the, 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 the pull in the direction to gossip or to listen to gossip says something about our spiritual condition, which we may need to know. Why do, we, why do I say that? because of what Jesus teaches about the principle of overflow. Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The way we know the heart is by the words of the mouth. That's how you know the condition of the heart. All talk is heart talk. All talk is heart talk. All of it. All of it. Matthew 12:35 The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him while the evil man brings evil things 
out of the evil stored up in him. If evil is coming out repeatedly and unrepentantly, what you have is an evil person. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. If good is coming out and good it continues to come out, you are dealing with a good person. This is Christianity 101, isn't it? Haven't we heard this stuff all our lives? What comes out of our mouth reveals what's in the heart. Good small talk, good stories come from good that's stored up in the heart. Sinful gossip comes out of the evil that's stored up in the heart. So, it's not just talking about the heart that's important. That's true. But we also need to talk about what gives the heart occasion to do this. In terms of the New Testament, one of the reasons we gossip is because we've got too much time on our hands. Our technology has freed us up in terms of time, and it tempts us in ways that to, 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 to be idle and to not do the things we should be doing. And the New Testament term for... when There's not a lot of uses of the word gossip in the New Testament. It, it's typically defined in different ways, but the word is not used. But when the New Testament does give a clear expression of gossip and talk about gossip, it's in the context of being a busybody. Someone who has too much time on their hands. The busybody is a person who's idle, not engaged in purposeful business and just wanting to be entertained. See, as one writer said, gossip is a way of being entertained. You do know, you know, magazines that you see in your checkout line are built on such things, right? I mean, it's entertainment. We've learned, we've come to expect to be entertained by gossip. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be entertained by gossip. You shouldn't, I mean, so much of television, so much of media is fueling gossip. It's all it is, is gossip. And so we drink it in, we take it in day after day after day, and you know what happens? We get desensitized, we think it's normal, and we start acting like it. And that's one of my concerns. It's not that anybody woke up this week and said, you know what, I'm going to gossip today. I'm going to get after it. I'm going to start talking. Nobody does that. But what we do is we just imbibe our culture's values, we imbibe our culture, and we become worldly. We're not transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not, we're not bringing our minds in submission to Scripture. We're just operating out of the worldview of the world, which is not to be operated out of. As one writer said, gossip is pornography of the mouth. Maybe this will help some of you. The way you think about it, it helps me. See, why, why, why is it pornography of the mouth? Because it seeks the same thing that a lustful fantasy seeks. A cheap thrill at another person's expense while making zero effort to connect with or commit to them. Which turns them into a thing to be used and an emotional rush to satisfy a sick craving in our lives. See, a busybody enjoys meddling in other people's business. We meet the busybody man in First and Second Thessalonians and we meet the busybody woman in 1 Timothy 5. Okay, busybodiness is not a gender neutral. Move this back a second. I'm going to smack it all sermon if I don't. All right. It's not a gender neutral sin, or a gender specific sin, I should say. It's gender neutral. So let's look at the two texts um, that discuss busybodiness among men. 1 Thessalonians 
where Paul instructs the, the men specifically in that context to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So that's the busybody man in First and Second Thessalonians. But we meet the busybody woman in Paul's first letter to Timothy. First Timothy 5.13. Besides that, they, talking about young widows, learn to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So Paul, in this context, cautioned young widows in the Christian community who've had their ordinary patterns and purposefulness in life ripped away from them through the loss of their husband. He urges them not to become idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but he says gossips and busybodies. Now, notice, on one side of the word gossip is the word idler, and on the other side of gossip is the word busybody. An idler is someone whose heart is aimless. They're just wandering. They just have nothing purposeful to do. So the more time that's on their hands and no purpose, no vision, no great dream for life, they're just coasting from day to day, their heart is empty, and the result is they become busy bodies and meddlers. They don't have significant responsibilities of their own, so they nose into the responsibilities of others. And notice, sandwiched between emptiness and aimlessness on the one side of being an idler and intrusiveness on the other side, being a busybody, is a gossip. So a key to not becoming a gossiper is having a large-hearted purposefulness that's not empty and not aimless and doesn't need to poke its nose into other people's business or promote oneself in the spreading of what belongs to someone else. See, when we're consumed with activity we should be consumed with, work, family, responsibilities, good works, then the life of the church, then, then we, we won't be tempted in the same way to be a busybody. Because the busybody loves the titillation that comes through gossip and loves living vicariously through other people's stories. But we can stop it by living our life as part of God's story. See, if we're living in God's story, re- oriented to God, oriented to the concerns of his kingdom... We don't care about other people's stories in the way that we shouldn't. Obviously, we should care about each other, what's going on in each other's lives, but not in unwholesome or unhealthy ways. So that's the first point. Hope it helps in kind of rounding out a little bit of our definition for gossip. Point number two, resisting gossip. I'm going to move through these fairly quickly. Three ways to resist gossip. The first is to refuse it, to refuse it. Now, what I mean by this is not necessarily saying anything, but just having in our mind the biblical conviction that gossip is a terrible sin. It's a terrible sin. So we have to see that it's a sin before God. It's something to which we are held accountable by God. It's something that strives against the blood of Christ. It's something that the Holy Spirit is trying to purge out of our lives. And so we need to be committed to fighting it as the Spirit within us is. Psalm 15, verses 1 and 3. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who does not take up a reproach against his friend. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, one who sows discord among brothers. Leviticus nineteen sixteen. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer among your people. 
Proverbs 25, 9. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another's secret. Romans 1, 28 and 29. God gave them up to a debased mind. They are gossips. So what if we as a church, if, the, if God gave us this grace to be able to spot gossip a mile away? What if we hated it? What if we believe the Bible and we're convinced that to gossip is to display a hatred for God and a hatred toward other people? What if it was, it was the exact opposite of the great commandment? It was an undoing of everything that the great commandment calls us to do, which is love God and neighbor. What if we thought that it served to fracture the unity that Jesus bought in this church and, and the Holy Spirit created in this church? That's why we have to refuse it. We have to be persuaded that it's sinful. Secondly, we need to rebuke it. Now, I know rebuke is hard. And nobody likes it, and we don't like it either. And I don't like it. It's not natural in our social environment to, to have rebuke. But there's a lot of rebuke in the New Testament. And it's done very graciously, but it's very honest. So I want us to help us see that to be nice is not always to be Christian. Right? Because sometimes we have this mistaken assumption that Christians are always nice. We should be kind. Always. But kindness is not always niceness. That is not kind, niceness, niceness is not a, a license to be rude either. But it's to speak the truth in love. And so, you know, you think about, I was reading something this week about um, doctoral malpractice. I mean, if you were to go to the doctor, Lord forbid, sometime this week, and there was a large lump that was found under your armpit. Um, but he said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it'll probably go away on its own you would be like, um, there's a large lump and it's gotten bigger um, the last uh, several weeks and that's why I'm coming to see you. Yeah, but I'll, I'll come back in six months. We'll look at it again. And you found out a couple of weeks later that that, was, that tumor was a cancer, a form of cancer, and that it was, you, know, you were going to die and that the, it's, it was too big to respond to any sort of meaningful chemotherapy. Would that, would that, pass, or would that doctor not be guilty of, of malpractice? Just totally ignored it. Just didn't do anything about it. Brothers and sisters, we can be guilty of spiritual malpractice by not being willing to have hard conversations or make awkward social scenarios happen. So let me give you an example. Let's say someone is talking about another person. I know it never happens, ever. They may get started slowly, but then soon enough, they begin carving up somebody's character like a Thanksgiving turkey. And as you get your bearings and you realize that you're being, you're listening and imbibing gossip, you could say something like this. Now, this approach will be for the brazen among us. Okay, I'm going to give us, I'm going to give us a, another approach that will hopefully be for the more timid and, uh, and, and socially, um, socially less brazen, maybe a tad bit more fear of man in us. So this is for the brazen why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? And what's the difference between what you're telling me and gossip? And how is your telling me this, that thought, that complaint, that information, going to help me or you love God and our church better and knit us closer in Christ's love? Isn't that the goal that every church member has? Isn't it to watch out for harmful influences in each other's lives? So now that you've told me that, 
what are you going to do about it? And if the answer is pray, a good response might be, then why didn't you do that and leave it there in the first place? Now that you've told me about that, then you're morally obligated to make sure you talk to so-and-so about it. So how long do you think you need so that I can know when this becomes a sin that I need to confront in you? Now that's admittedly a, a brazen approach. But for those of us who, like I said, have a tad bit more fear of man in us, we could say something like this. Hey friend, I love you. I'm not super encouraged by this conversation right now. Um, it's kind of uncomfortable. It makes me feel like we're, we're talking about something we shouldn't be talking about. So um, I'm sorry you share that concern, but let's just stop that there. Um, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for them. Um, but, but why don't you, you need to go speak to them about that. Just sweet, kind, no, no brazenness. Um, I, I remember at one point um, in, my, in my life, I, I remember having a, a, a friendly conversation with my disciple leader in college. And uh, I was gossiping about another, um, another guy I was discipling that was a close friend of his. And he could tell it was going that direction. And he stopped me and he said, um, I don't want to let, listen, Mark, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to think less of that person because of what you're saying. And I don't want to think less of you for saying something to me that you should have been saying to them. Your esteem in my eyes is going to go down. So, and again, that, that's a, that was a good rebuke. It's a loving rebuke. I appreciated it, not at the time. <laughs> but I did later on. So, that's, that's, those are, those are, there's, of course, use your own personality, use your own God-given, um, God-given spiritual wisdom there, but, but it does need to be stopped when it's heard. And, and, and you need to realize, hey, if I'm listening to it, I'm participating in it. And I'm as guilty as the one who's giving it. So we need to shut this down. Number three, and this is the best way, is just redirect it. Redirect it. Okay, you you refuse it by being convinced it's a sin. You rebuke it in the moment, graciously, lovingly. But then the goal is to redirect it. So how do we redirect it? Well, first we redirect each other back to Christ, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing anyway? Isn't our role in each other's lives to point us to Christ? Yes. So we remind each other that Christ died for that brother, that sister. Christ died to cleanse our hearts and to purify our mouths, and we're held accountable for the careless words we speak. Matthew 12, 36. We need to remind one another that Jesus says we need to apply the same standard of judgment to ourselves as those we're tempted to judge. Listen, do you want Jesus to be relentlessly scrutinizing of you on the day of judgment? then you shouldn't be that way with your brothers and sisters because he's going to judge you the same way you judge them. God will be relentlessly scrutinizing to those who are relentlessly scrutinizing. That's what Matthew 7, 1 to 5 teaches. So none of us want that, so let's not do that because we don't want God to do that to us, so we shouldn't do that to each other. Second, redirect each other back to the person. If you have an issue with someone, you should just go talk to them about it. Ray Ortland said that as a pastor, someone might come to me and say, I need to talk to you about something. Now, he's the only pastor who ever experiences things like this. I don't know what kind of bizarre unicorn he is. He says, I usually reply, something or someone? Something, okay. Someone, 
Not, maybe not yet. He says, if they say someone, then I say, did you talk to someone yet? I direct them back. I don't want to hear about someone if that someone hasn't heard about it first. Third, redirect each other to the people in, to whom you have gossiped. Every time someone gossips, great damage is caused. In addition to sinning against God and disobeying his word, we inflict damage on others. And so gossip harms at least three people, as we pointed out earlier. The one speaking, the one hearing, and the one who's gossiped about. So add to this that gossip is usually not a one-time deal, but rather involves multiple conversations, and this closes the loop and reinforces the need to reject the sin of gossip. It reminds, or perhaps educates those who've been exposed to this sin of the nature and danger of it. So we redirect each other back to Christ, we redirect each other back to the person, and we redirect each other to the people to whom you have gossiped. Thirdly and finally, redeeming gossip. Redeeming gossip. Now this is really where I want to camp, because brothers and sisters, I know we all know this stuff. This ain't rocket surgery, as the great theologian said. And I meant to say rocket surgery, not rocket science, just seeing if you're paying attention. Um, let, let's talk about, I, I want to put a gospel angle on this, okay, that maybe, maybe we haven't fully appreciated. Maybe some of you have, and that's great. But if you haven't appreciated this gospel angle, I, I want to give it to us because all that is real, all that I've said so far is really just set up for what I want to say now, okay, which is how we redeem this because there is godly gossip to be done. There is godly gossip to be done. We just don't want to be guilty of ungodly gossip. Now, as I've already pointed out, one reason deep down that we like gossip is because we don't believe the gospel. There's parts of us. I'm not saying you're an unbeliever. I'm saying that parts of us don't believe the gospel, and that's why we gossip. Now, you say, what? I believe the gospel. Listen, it's not what you profess I know we profess to believe the gospel. I'm talking about what you do. That shows what you, prof- what you believe, right? What we do is what we believe, not what we say we believe. So we gossip. Here's one of the reasons we gossip. I'm not saying it's the only reason. Because it makes people interested in us, and it makes us feel important, okay? We got the scoop. We got the news. We got to tell somebody else before anybody else can tell them. I'm something. I'm important. But listen, brothers and sisters, when you believe the gospel deep down, you don't need to feel that. Because you're already noticed by the most important person in the universe who loves you like crazy. You don't need to feel important. You're important to God. It doesn't matter if you're important in the eyes of people. Who cares? God, see, see the gospel, believing the gospel deep down produces in us a humility that doesn't need to feel important, that doesn't need to feel prominent, that doesn't need to feel noticed. We have a deep, humble contentment in God that doesn't need to be fed by a craving ego with delicious morsels of being the first to hear and the first to tell some juicy news. Another reason is gossip makes us feel righteous. We're not like those people. I'm not like that. I don't do that. But brothers and sisters, does that not reveal to us that we don't believe the gospel deep down? Whose righteousness do you have? You have the most, 
You have the greatest righteousness anybody else could ever possess, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The cross has already told the worst things about us. They're all there, hanging, as Jesus absorbs wrath in his body for them. We have the only righteousness that matters. Listen, our sense of righteousness and how better we are toward people and how better we feel because we don't do certain things that other people do will not get us uh, anywhere in the day of judgment. God is not going to say to you, well, I know you weren't like those people. (laughs) No. Say, you're not perfect. You need Jesus' righteousness just like everybody. So let me press in in conclusion here, with two final concluding statements that give us a gospel's perspective on dealing with gossip. Here they are. Number one, remember how Satan speaks against us and refuse to join him. Okay? Remember how Satan speaks against us and refuse to join him. See, Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 8, 44, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, it's not a stretch to say that Satan's name is gossip. Why do I say that? Because in Revelation 12.10, he's called the accuser of the brethren. In John 8.44, Jesus links evil speech with reflecting the image of Satan. He says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. See, gossip is so easy sometimes for us to justify because it's working with the material of truth. There's truth there. But often, people really are sinful and stupid. I am. I really do sinful and stupid stuff. And gossip is a response to those real events. But the lie of gossip isn't, I'm going to falsify a story about this person, but it's the unspoken and assumed, I have the right to talk about anything I want with whomever I want in whatever way I want. That is satanic. It comes from one's character, it comes from one's father, and interestingly enough, the people of God are identified in response to the beast in Revelation, which we'll get through, Lord willing, as we encounter Revelation starting in November. But the beast gossips about the saints. Revelation 13, 5 and 6. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. See, to the throne of God, Satan drags with him a cosmic bag brimming full of accusations about other people's sins, failures, and struggles. Don't give him an inch and do the same thing. Don't drag don't be, the, don't be the satanic influence person that's dragging your cosmic bags brimming full of accusations about other people's sins and failures and struggles and just to accuse God's people over and over again just like Satan does. Unrepentant behavior like that reveals that their father is not God. Their father is the father of lies because he too speaks the same way. So a person that is constantly accusing Christians, accusing Christians, accusing Christians... How can they be a Christian? They don't love the brothers. They don't love God's people. They behave satanically. But here's the good news. Number two, remember how God speaks to us 
and about us and be like him. Remember how God speaks to us and about us, and let's be like him. So how does God speak to us? Brothers and sisters, when God speaks to us, it's always direct, and it's always for our good. He's never passive-aggressive. He never holds back. He intimately pulls us into his thoughts, even about our great sins and shortcomings, for our good, for our salvation, and for our peace. He says, I'm not hiding my thoughts from you. Some of them are hard to hear, but for every difficult word I have, I have a plan, I have power, I have grace for you specifically. See, gossip is the exact opposite of this sort of speech. It's behind closed doors. It's whispered under breath. It's a sinful response to human insecurity. But when God speaks, he's wide open. He's transparent. This whole book is him sharing his heart. And even the stuff he has to say, hey, I I can't disclose that to you, but I'm going to one day. I'm not hiding anything from you. See, God doesn't speak behind closed doors. God doesn't whisper under his breath. When God speaks, he offers security and wisdom out of his self-sufficiency God judges gossip to be arrogant and foolish because it's so unlike him and in contradiction with the character of the way he talks. And finally, how does God speak about us? Gossip contains speech that would never occur in heaven. Moreover, that would never occur among the members of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit do not gossip about you to each other. Jesus does not speak words of judgment or accusation about you to the Father. In fact, the Trinity doesn't even speak neutral words about you. All the speech of the Trinity between Father, Son, and Spirit about you as a Christian is overflowing with active love. The Spirit is praying for you. The Son is your priest. He's your cleanser. He's your advocate. He's the one who subdues your true enemies. The Father loves you with the same love with which He loves the Son. Gossip is the exact opposite of how the Son speaks to the Father about you. The Trinity talks about you behind your back, but the words that they speak are always encouraging, and you would be so excited to hear what they said. When they talk about your sin, they know there's a hope and a plan and a Savior. When they talk about your suffering, there is help and purpose. So by all means, brothers and sisters, let's talk about each other behind our backs. But let's make sure that we say the same thing that God does. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for your word that is like a physician's scalpel that searches us but always heals us. We're thankful for the ways in which you draw our sin into the light but not to condemn us or shame us but to heal us and to make us more into your image. So, Lord, thank you. Lord, we acknowledge freely all of us are guilty in this room to some degree of either indulging in gossip or being recipients of it. Or, And, Lord, we know that your word says if someone's able to tame the tongue, they're able to keep their whole body under control. And so, Lord, who can tame the tongue? And so we acknowledge that Where words are many, transgression is not absent. And we have enough transgressions here to warrant eternity in hell for all of us. But we thank you that there's a Savior. And it's said of him, there was no deceit found in his mouth. And so because there was no deceit found in his mouth, he's a Savior of gossips like us.
So thank you for providing a perfect Savior for us. We renounce our sin. We repent of our sin today, this morning, and we cling exclusively and only to him. For those of us who have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to pay for their sin, I pray that this sermon would expose that they need him. This is just one sin, the one avenue of our rebellion against you. But may it be used by you to draw someone into the kingdom today, knowing that there is a Savior offered for all of us who are broken and sinful and need need such a Savior. So we are grateful to end this service in celebration and reminder of how you think about us in Christ, how you love us in Christ, how you treasure us as your beloved and prized possession in Christ. May we treat each other the way you treat us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.